Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Good morning, everybody. All right. Um, so we're talking about our money ethic. The series is basically how Christians behave with money. How Christians behave with money. How Christians behave with money. That's what it means. Hallelujah. That's just what it means. Our money ethic just means how Christians behave with money. And um, I started last week to um, try to explain to us from God's word that um, you know, there are two reasons why we work. We work to provide for what is meat, for what is necessary, for what is good. And, uh, we prov- and we work to um, live productively. Hallelujah. And I spent more time trying to explain what it means that we work to provide what is good. Titus chapter 3 from verse 12 says, As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have, ad- I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenas the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide to urgent needs, to necessary needs, to things that are necessary, and not live unproductive lives or not live unfruitful lives. God wants us to live productively, and God wants us to be able to meet our urgent needs. What is that which is necessary? That which is good. Don't read it like, um, like in Nigerian. Like someone saying, I need urgent suki. That's not what it means. Praise God. It means that which is necessary, that which is good, that which is meat. Hallelujah. So, and I said that what defines what is urgent, what is the definition of the things that are necessary? What is the definition of the things that are necessary, important needs? that need to be met. Because, again, I need to point this out. If you look through the scriptures, if you look through the scriptures, you'll find out that Jesus and the apostles kept talking about how God provides our needs. How God provides our needs. You'll notice that they kept talking about how God provides our needs. Um, One of the things that is done, one of the things that people do with these scriptures is to try to equate the word needs with um, riches. And so they say that God said, the Lord shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. And then someone tries to interpret that the Lord shall supply all my needs means that God will make you very rich and all that. But if you notice, it's actually consistent throughout the scriptures. When Jesus was speaking in the, in the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, and talks about how that we are better than sparrows or more valuable to God than sparrows, he kept saying that how can God who knows what the needs of all these things? How will he not meet also your needs? Praise God. Church, are we together? Are we together? When he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He already told us what these things are. What were the things he was talking about? He said, the sparrow does not sow and does not reap, yet it's what? Fed. The lilies of the valleys, they don't spin, they don't toil, yet they are what? Clothed. Food and clothing. 
<laughs> Again, when he says all these things shall be added unto you, what are the things? Food and what? Clothing. Meaning that actually God created us and wants us to live a life of dignity. God did not create us and expect, it is not the will of God that people live in destitution. It is not the will of God that people live in destitution, that you cannot find what is good to eat, you cannot dress and look decent, you cannot have where to live and all those things. You know, God wants us to have to live decent lives and not live in destitution. So those are the things that God gives us. And God has, you know, God has promised that he will always provide these things. If the sparrow does not have to you know, toil and you know, to, to get food, God will always provide what to feed. You know, God will always provide clothing and God will always provide you shelter. All right? Every other thing apart from those things are luxuries. Every other thing apart from those things are luxuries. And those things, we are joined them according to the abundance of God's giving and blessing in our lives. Hallelujah. Church, are we together? Mm. So, I try to define what those urgent needs are, what those things that are meet are. And we said that there are two things that we know from Scripture. The things that are needs are things that are necessary for God's purpose for us. So that we can do his will. I'm going, to exp- I'm going to define it properly when I go on to talk about how um, generosity is part of Christian conduct with money. And you'll see it there. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Apostle Paul was telling us that you can be faithful in every good work. God has blessed you and increased your store of grain. God will bless your seed. God will give you abundance so that at every point in time and every way you have more than enough to do what is good, what is pleasing to God, so that your works of righteousness can abound. What are the works of righteousness? What is good? Good is the purpose of God for creation. Good, good works or good deeds are things that cohere with God's intention for humanity. So that's why our giving, I are you following what I'm saying to you? That's why the things that are urgent are things that cohere with the purpose of God for us, the things that are good. What is good is what follows God's purpose for us. What is evil is that which deviates from, from God's purpose for us. So everything that pertains to God's purpose for us God wants us to be able to work so that we can provide for those things. Praise God. God wants us to be able to work so that we can provide for those things. And so we know, you know broadly that the two categories of those things that are God's purpose is number one, to reconcile men to God. So all the things that pertain to reconciling men to God, God wants us to be able to provide for them. And number two, things that pertain to stewarding creation. That means that God's creation might thrive and be well, that God's creation might thrive and be well. So things that pertain to God's creation, God wants us to also be able to provide for those things. Hallelujah. And I said, very, very important, I'm going to keep repeating this so that you don't get it twisted as we are going, is that when we say, when Apostle Paul tells us that God wants you to be productive, so that God wants you to, you know, do what is good so that you can meet needs, is not for you to misunderstand, like KG rightly said, that we are chasing riches so that you can provide those needs. No. Chasing riches is never the goal. There is no good excuse. There is no good, guys, to chase riches. No. Working productively itself is the end. Do you understand that? Do you hear what I just said now? Hmm. We are not chasing riches so that we can provide. We are working because we ought to work. And through our work, God will meet our needs. You cannot have a target in your life of a certain socioeconomic ladder that you want to attain to. The moment you do that, you have started serving mammon. The moment in your heart, 
you have a socioeconomic class that you are aiming at, that thing has become your hierarchy, has become the top of your hierarchy of values. That thing has become your purpose. That has become your vision. That has become, um, you know, what you are orienting your life around. Your goal is not a certain socioeconomic class. Is not to make a certain amount of money. Your goal is to do the will of God. Your goal is to do the will of God. Your goal is to do the will of God. Hallelujah. And so I'm going to go on today. I want to focus on the second reason why we work, which is to live productively. And this is a place that will help to really explain the difference between the Christian ethic and um, the prosperity American gospel as taught popularly. You know, you begin to see the differences in thoughts and everything, how it differs from what the scripture actually teaches. God's goal for us is that we actually live productively. God wants us to live productive, fruitful lives. Working itself, being occupied, doing something good itself is a purpose. Is an end in itself that God also uses to bring out other ends. We are not working to attain a certain socioeconomic um, status, you know, so to speak, we are actually working because God wants us to be busy. Understanding this thing is the difference between why the prosperity gospel can lead to a corrupt society and why the Protestant work ethic can lead to a more godly society. You see two societies where both of them are hustling. One is materialistic and one is not. This is the difference between their thinking. If the end is to attain a certain socioeconomic status, if the purpose of things is to attain a certain socioeconomic status and work is just one of the ways, you know that if you find another way to achieve that socioeconomic status, you will take it. Do you understand that? Do you hear what I just said now? Hmm. If attaining a certain socioeconomic status is the purpose, is the end, any way that arrives at that end is equally good, is equally acceptable. So that's why even before man died, even before man fell and committed his rebellion against God, God already gave him work. You know, at that time, he was not working to, because his needs were met already. Do you understand that? You know Adam's needs were met already. But God said he should tend to it. Because that state of exerting yourself, using your God-given faculty itself is pleasing to God. God wants you to be occupied. God wants you to apply yourself. God wants you to, to see and, and enjoy the, the joy. God wants you to know the joy of having a faculty in your heart, a, or a, a faculty inside of you, a gift inside of you, an ability inside of you, and you expressing that ability. There is a joy that comes from you using yourself as the Lord will want, want you to use yourself. That joy itself, that state of affairs is pleasing to God. And so that's why God couples it as the only state of affairs that is the proper way by which benefit or income should come to a believer. There is no other way that is allowed. Including charity. You understand what I mean now? Don't worry. We'll go into it. You'll see. Charity is actually a way that God gives as a way of mercy to bail out somebody. Because of the kind of broken world that we are in, we often could find ourselves in a place where we cannot help ourselves yet. We cannot help ourselves yet. Or a person in a situation where they cannot help themselves. Like an orphan who doesn't have parents. A child, a child cannot help himself. 
or herself. A child needs their parents to take care of them until they can stand independently. So, we must take care of such people. It's a bailout to help them until they can stand. A widow in her advanced years does not have a husband who can work and provide for her needs. You know, especially when she's much older, you see what Paul was saying. You see some things now. The first reason five. She cannot help herself, so the Bible will tell you should take care of such widows because they cannot help themselves. They cannot do the kind of physical work that often, you know, now in the 21st century, it is very, very possible that a woman, even though being frail in body, um, weaker in body, so to speak, weaker vessel, can use the mind alone to make income for themselves. Do you understand that? Now, more and more, we can use our mind alone. But there was a time where your mind does not count. There was a time when it was all about your body. At such times, they will say, make sure you take care of the widows amongst you. And Paul will now say, the young widows, that their bodies are still strong, you go and look for work, but you go and marry. Because charity is meant to be a way to support people that cannot do themselves. We're going to talk about generosity towards ministers also. That's why it gets to a certain point where right thinking, a right thinking church, right, a, a church with the right heart, a right thinking church will say, that it is not good that they belabor a man from doing the work that he's meant to be doing, which is the work of the ministry, that he might attend to his needs. And so they will decide to carry the burden for me. So do you understand that? So all those ways of charity actually meant that that's why it's very, very funny. People that want to live on charity, whenever you see it, people that think like, oh, you don't want to work, but we have a certain resource, and anybody that wants to come and live in that area must pay us some kind of rent seeking. All this kind of rent seeking is very ungodly. Christians don't think like rent seekers. God did not create you that you make income be sustained any other way other than by working. This is where the American gospel caused a lot of problems for us in our society because it dissociated working with dignity as a primary purpose of God to making a certain socioeconomic status to be the end. They say God wants you to be rich. So that becomes the purpose and the essence of things that we are chasing. And so if a Yahoo boy gets to that, he can give testimony and can still be honored in church. This is the reason why in the local church, we can honor someone who is in the lower socioeconomic ladder, you say lower middle class or is poor, because he's working with dignity, right? And you will not honor somebody that you don't know a source of income. Because the dignified work itself is the end. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Working itself dignified, truthfully and honestly, is a praiseworthy thing. It is the purpose of God. It is good. It is good. And anything that deviates from it is evil. This is part of the reasons why Christians don't gamble. I was telling you guys that the Christian ethic is not based on doing a SWOT analysis of a particular thing and doing the strengths and weaknesses, and try to compare how many people like it or how many people don't like it. We don't think utilitarian and say, how many people are okay with that? Mm. Christian ethics is based on what the purpose of God is. So and now that we know what the purpose of God is for Christians with respect to work, anything that deviates from it is what? Evil. Even if it doesn't feel like it to you. When Adam and Eve were eating the food, did you feel like they were doing something wrong? The Bible says that when they saw it, they thought it was good. So when something is wrong, it's not a matter of how you feel. You can be here or hear me online and you understand. And be saying, what's the big deal? I'm not harming anybody. It's just my money that I'm throwing away, hoping that, man, you will win the next batch. 45 odds, 3-1. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Evil is not based on how you feel. 
Something is not wrong because it feels wrong to you. Something is wrong because that thing deviates from God's plan. God's plan for you is that you occupy yourself with work and that, that use that work to meet your needs. Church, all together. When a man is not occupied, one of the things that begins to happen is that a man becomes a busybody. He becomes occupied. Every man must be occupied by something. So if a man is not occupied by work, honest, dignified work, he will become occupied by Satan's work. A man, that's why slothfulness is an evil. This is why slothfulness is an evil. A man who is not occupied will be a busybody. If you don't find yourself, if you don't occupy yourself with what is good, you will start doing what is bad. There are no I do young men or women that are doing good. That's why they will tell you in a society, a society that does not provide work for its young people, what will begin to happen? Criminals will increase. It's a society that does not prioritize illness labor and provide the same for its young people. Such a society will have a high crime rate. Because there are faculties inside of you. There are God-given gifts that you are meant to apply. There is a joy from applying yourself. Many times criminals and all these guys that do all these heists and all those things, do you know part of the reason why they keep doing what they are doing? They get to a point where they become addicted and they can't stop. What's the reason why they do what they do is that when they start is that the zeal and the exhilaration of applying themselves to something and being successful at it, it gets to a point where they begin to do that evil, even for no, not even because of money. Because they just enjoy the fact that they are good at it. Church, all together. And how did it start? Idleness. Hallelujah. Church, are you with me? This is how Christians behave themselves with money. Let's look at what God's word said. First Timothy chapter 5. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures to just give you how the apostles think and how the Lord thinks about all these things. First Timothy chapter 5, from verse 11, it says, As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. The list he's talking about is the list of those that he'll be doing charity for, right? For when their sensual desires become their dedication to Christ, overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only, and not only do they become idlers, but also become busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel the younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. Meaning, there is a way, as a young lady, that you will not have work, that it will lead to your apostasy. That you actually follow Satan from not having work. No, he said I should not talk. I should hold myself. Let me just say it the corners. Listen to me. Listen to me. Men and women are both man in God's sight. When I'm talking now, the guys will be feeling the burden of these statements more. Feeling like as if when they are saying should not be idle, you should provide. He's talking to you primarily. Listen to me. I'm talking to both of you, men and women. 
You see the scripture that is just before verse 11. Verse 8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In this scripture, I was talking to widows and old widows and younger widows. But instead, anyone, obviously meaning anyone, letting you know that this anyone does not escape the um, ladies. Ladies, you are not meant to be idle. If you are idle, Satan will use you. You will become a busybody and a nonsense talker. And before you know it, from there you will follow Satan. I'm seeing this thing a lot as I'm talking now, and I know what I'm seeing. And those that are descending understand what I'm saying. There's a certain class of people that have oriented their values around how they look and stuff. And they see their value as a person with respect to how a man can take care of them. So, their entire sensibilities and all the gifts that God has given them is expended on looking good so that a man can provide for you and take care of you. And by so doing, you now make yourself someone Listen to me. God did not create you to be somebody's property. God did not create you to be somebody's trophy. God did not create you to be sitting down idly, putting on makeup and waiting for one rich guy that will come and take over your case. Sitting down all day, doing nothing and not looking at yourself as someone that is meant to be productive. Someone that has God-given gifts that you are meant to apply yourself into. You don't see yourself like that. You see yourself as someone that will come, someone will come and take over your case. Satan is going to use you. You are going to leave the faith eventually. And that's how it starts. First of all, you are going to subject yourself to a lot of meaningless suffering. Suffering that God did not, God did not prefer for you to go through. You will suffer at the hands of people. People will take advantage of you. Because your, your hierarchy of values have been skewed, that which is good from God's word will not make sense to you. Satan will use such a person. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. Even if you are going to be a housewife, ah, God, if God can just help us that we can save a lot of people and our country can become more Christian, there are a lot of things that we should vote into legislation. One of the things that we should vote into legislation. I want to understand something. This idea, do you see what Paul now says at the solution? He says such, they said these young ladies, instead of being idle and being busybodies, you go and marry, dignify yourself, get married and take care of your home. Why? Because people think that being housewife means being idle. You are the yapata that you now um, um, they, will, they will rent young girls for you that will be massaging your feet, cooking for you, doing everything for you and everything. Let me tell you something how Christians do. If something happens and then you and your, your, you and your husband, you agree that we want to focus on raising these children. You provide me, let me take care of everything inside the house and you agree. That housewife thing that you are doing, eh? Hmm. Ah, I went to at the time I traveled to Abuja, I met someone. She's a very intelligent person, well-educated. Um, husband is materially okay. He's doing well. I've never seen that kind of thing in my life. That's the Christian home. Her three or four children are all, are all homeschooled. I'm talking about young children. 
When the boy comes to greet you, our sons come to greet you, you say, good afternoon, you say, good afternoon, sir. You hold your hand. When we are discussing theology, the boy, they will sit down and be discussing with you. I've never seen that kind of thing before. When they say a Christian, if a Christian woman says she's a housewife, it means all her children are going to be bishops. That's what that's the meaning, you know, like Charles, Charles Wesley's mother. When, when a Christian woman says, I'm not going to work because of these children, it means those children are saved already. Just who baptize them when they are from small. That is what it means. Because it means that you are applying all your God-given faculties that if you had used in the secular place, you would have used to make income. You now use it to focus on your home. Your home will be the best. That's what it means. It means your husband never has to worry about the family. Never. It means that whatever little income you are making, it will be like, it will look like times 10 of what it actually is because of the wisdom you will employ. So take it out did you hear what I just said now? So being a housewife does not even mean being I do. It means your home is now your project. And your home will be the best of homes. I've never seen that kind of thing before when I went. There was, I didn't see any nanny, anybody. Let me not talk. Let me just hold myself. You understand what I've said, Abby? I don't need to say more than that. So I guess what I'm saying to you? I do less itself is an evil. Slothfulness is an evil. God wants men to be occupied. And a society that does not understand this will be used by Satan. Satan will reign in that society. It starts from the ground up. Even for ministers. The minister's goal is not to be idle for idleness sake. The minister's goal is that he will stop working at the point where it is no longer necessitated. Do you understand that? It should go from the ground up. You don't say, I will not work from the beginning so they can take care of me. No. You find yourself in a place where you are not working because they have said they will take care of you so that you can focus. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Did you hear what I just said now? Idleness is where Satan catches a lot of people. You've heard it said many times before and indeed there's a truth with it. It is when David was not busy that he saw another person's wife perfume. The Lord will help us. The Lord will never make me fall. And I already told the Lord, let me not say it outside. All right? So, many of the people that have scandals and have issues, part of the problem is idleness. Me, I'm telling you guys now as a pastor, a pastor does not read the Bible for 24 hours. Neither does he pray for 24 hours. Instead of you to keep yourself idle, you will not, from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, finish your Bible study, finish your praying, you will not be idle all day. That's when they will come and be seeing you for counseling. That's where problems start. And I know what I'm saying to you. I'm speaking based on experience and what I've observed. People who are I do are the people that Satan comes for. When you are busy, you have gone for all from morning to night. The time for counseling is within the short time that we have when we see. Which time do you want to be doing rubbish about? Come and be doing like this around somebody. Do you understand that? There's no time. There's no time. Young people, listen to me. If God has done it for you, or God is sorry, <laughs> not God has done it for you. If you're in a place where you are, not yet, you are not yet busy because you've not yet gotten a work and all that, you know what you do? You find something to occupy yourself. That's what they call volunteering. You will be volunteering everywhere there's volunteer. You are the one that will be in church, sweeping up and down. You are the one that is always opening the church and closing it. So that when you finally find work, they will know that, ah, he has found work. 
when you are sitting at home doing Netflix all the time, you see, see, bro, you see, this one happens a lot. I know that you see, first I'm struggling with certain things, I'm struggling with certain things, pornography and masturbation and stuff. When you do diagnosis, say, sit down. When does it usually happen? When I'm alone. Why are you alone? I don't have work. There are some temptations that are becoming plenty because you are giving way for it. If you are busy now, you don't have work, and you collect the key and come to church and clean. You understand what I'm saying, right? Is that, will you have time for that? Will you have time for that? You ask people, when we're growing up, when you, are, you don't have work, we finish secondary school, you're looking for admission. The way we used to do when we're growing up is that you go and stay in pastor's house and be working. You call me pastor, say, what can I come and do in your house? I'm not saying you should come to my house. I'm just telling you what we used to do. <laughs> you'll be volunteering up and down. You'll be looking for a way to volunteer. You'll be keeping yourself busy. You go and do work that you're not doing. I remember when I finished secondary school two years before UIUI did the um, rearrangement of calendar. I finished SATs, one and a half years, nothing else to do. I need to go and find work. I need to go and work with my uncle as cashier. I learned a lot of things. Ah, can't be sitting at home. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, from verse 6. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters. You see that? Apostolic command. We command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. This is apostolic teaching. Do not be idle. Anybody that wants to be idle, don't keep friends with them. Stay away from them. Idleness reach to, to do anathema for some people. So what that means is idleness can be such a bad thing that is worthy of almost excommunicating a person for. Because you become disruptive. You become a problem. When you don't have work, that's why your mind has time and energy to be thinking all kinds of evil. Verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. This is the default of ministry. This is the default of ministry. You start ministry not wanting to be a burden until the point where you are not a burden. Do you understand what I just said now? Do you understand that? Okay. You start not being a burden. This is a default because idleness is not an option. Verse 9. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not so, if you see someone that is not working, but is eating, is not in the will of God. You've not seen it from now and go before. Do you see the way I read it in context now? It says, for when we're with you, we gave you this command. That means that even they themselves were subject to this command. You don't... See, you know that didactic that we read is beginning to make sense now. It's beginning to make sense. You see your prophets going up and down. See, my work is prophets. 
you now come and stay in your house. He said, if he stays more than two days, how did the didaki say it? He says, if he stays more than two days, give him one more day to watch him. After that day, if he still stays, he's a false prophet. <laughs> Meaning, you cannot go up and now say, I did a runny share. I did a runny. Ah, I want a miss. So we pay. You can't come and be sitting down and be boarding to people and be eating on them. You come, you prophesy after one day. Your prophecy has not finished. Two days, your prophecy has not finished. By the third day, your prophecy is. <laughs> Paul was telling us something here that even they themselves were subject to this rule. And what was the rule? Any man that should not work should not eat. So, listen. Any young man that is eating and you can't see his work is doing evil. Any young lady that is eating and is not working is what? Is doing evil. Yes. Should I just say now? Rest your mind. You can make that diagnosis anytime. Someone is driving a Benz up and down. He's not working, but he's driving Benz. He's doing evil. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do, and, and do it, not only when their eye is on you, and to carry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Apostle Paul is telling us something here. That even in those days when there was slavery, because the gospel is not to come, has not come to change social, social culture. The gospel has come to save men. Do you understand that? So even those that were slaves, Paul was telling, how, telling Christian slaves how they should behave. He was not telling Christian slaves that even as you are slaves, obviously not saying that he endorses it, right? Because these are things that you have to say nowadays before. These are the things that were clear and obvious. But nowadays, people who said it's not correct again. So these are things that... You, Paul was not endorsing slavery, but he was in a system where people were slaves. So he was telling Christians how to behave as slaves. Do you understand that? He now said, even as a slave, now for us, the equivalent for us will be for what? If you are working for someone. Do you understand that? If you are working for someone, he says even that work that you are doing, I mean, even these are days where people were still slavery, actual slavery. He said, you don't work like as if you just want to end the person's favor. But work with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. Verse 23 now says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you, do not do, since you, since you, you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is, the Lord, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. So that means that even when someone employs you and you are doing your work faithfully as unto the Lord, the Lord is the one that will reward you for acting properly. Because when you are working, you are working as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord. That means the way you conduct yourself in the office, the way you conduct for yourself for people that you are working for, it is pleasing unto God that you do it as Christians ought to. Hallelujah. Church, are you with me? Your work, when God orders your steps to a particular work, you do it like as if it is your lot that God has ordained unto you and you do it as if it is unto the Lord. And this is one place I want to spend some time today. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. 
This parable is very important. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to read it, and we're going to understand something very important here. Matthew chapter 25, from verse 14. Hallelujah. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, Matthew 25 from verse 14, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. This is one thing that many people don't realize. Maybe this one place that the Protestants were different from, people that came after, they understand it. Let me tell you something about even this money, riches, and all these things that people don't realize. And you should, as a Christian, because it informs your work ethic. You see the bags of gold that this master gave his people. He gave one five. He gave one two. He gave one one. Because God is sovereign, God allotted different points to us, different nations, put all in different boundaries, put us in different places. The family you are born to is not a mistake. God sent you there. What that means is that the amount of material earthly resources that you start off life with, like these ones now, this is where they started the adventure. The master gave them one person five, one person two, one person one. The amount of material resources that you start life with eh, is God's sovereignty. It's God's allotment. Some people are born into poor families. Some people are born into middle-class families. Some people are born into rich families. God knows why he sent everybody to the different families that he have or that they are born into. God sent some of us to be born in Nigeria. God sent some of us to be born in America. God sent some of us to be born in Kuwait. But let me bust your head. God, some people are born in Yemen. Some people are born in Togo. Some people are born in VI and Leki. Some people are born in Ajegunle. Whether you have five bags of gold or one bag of gold, it is the Lord's sovereignty that allots it. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Mm. Some people are born in a place where they can have access to go to Harvard and Princeton. Some people are born in a place where they not, will not go to university and they'll be apprentices. It is the Lord that allots it. There's a fundamental way that the Americans have brought because of their own culture and everything that now mixed with gospel and now made them to come up with these ideas of the gospel. Because of this whole American dream thing that they have, it seeped into their gospel to make people think like as if um, doing the whole American dream thing that you can come into the country very, very poor and you can become one of the richest men in the world. They brought that mentality, that worldly mentality into the gospel. Now telling people that God's purpose for you is to be rich and no matter how you are born, um, you know, um, you can become as rich as you are. <laughs> listen, as you want. Now listen to me. The way the Lord has done it, indeed, there are some people that are according to the loss that God has given them and the way God ordered their steps. It's possible for them to be born poor and then become very, very rich. But listen to me, there's a, there's a hand of God's sovereignty in this matter. There's a hand of God's sovereignty in this matter. This is the reason why the one that has five pots of gold and the one that has one pot of gold, they are the same thing before God. One is not superior to the other. Because you and I know deep in your heart that if you had the amount of resources that maybe Dangote's child has, you would do a lot with it, won't you? Won't you? Won't you? 
Does that mean that they are superior to you? Does that mean that they have more value than you? You take your one pot of gold and you turn it to two and you're okay. This is one thing that many people don't realize. This is the reason why for believers, the dignity of labor is in that you are doing the honest labor. It is not in how much you have relative to another person. Your job as a believer is to work with what God has given you and make the best of it. That person is not inferior to you. It's what the Lord sovereignly allotted to him. So that is why the joy of a believer in this world can never be the amount of money that you have made. Did you hear what I just said now? It's not to now say, ah, the Christians are lucky, God has blessed them. In fact, in fact, God just likes some people, it's a lie. You will find dignity and by pride now, I don't mean the evil pride, I mean esteem. You will find dignity and pride in your own labor, in what God has given you. God gave birth, God sent you to a family where we have half bag of gold. Do you know what you do? You take dignity in it and you do what you can with what you have been given, you have been given and take pride in it. You take pride in it because he's the one that allots it. You guys know the rest of the story. You know the rest of the story, right? The one that had five, appreciating what he has, walked with it and made it ten. And the one that had two, appreciated what he had and made it two. And this is the mistake. That is one thing that people have because there's an error that rich people can get into. And there's also an error that poor people can get into. The error that rich people get into is that they become so attached to money that they will not enter heaven. Because the money has left their bank account, it has left their pockets, and is now in their hearts. Do you understand that? So that's why it's very hard for rich people to enter heaven. But listen to me. If poor people don't take care, they will not enter heaven. No? Because you know in this parable, the, rich, the two rich people entered heaven. It's the poor person that did not enter. Do you know the error that poor people can get into? Offense. Bitterness. Poor people look at rich people and say, why are those people rich? It is nonsense. Because of that, I will be idle. I will go and bury the gold that God has given me. I will bury the opportunities and resources that God has given me. Instead, I will not do anything. I will be waiting for someone to come and give me charity. I will be doing homonile. I will be doing crime. I will be doing all those things. You will not go to heaven. When you get to heaven, I will say, God, why did you burn some people into rich families and burn me into poor family? What kind of thing is that? In me, see your, me that created you, you are asking me a question. When you cook... Your head will correct. Offense and bitterness is a real danger for poor people. It's poor people that are saying things like, eh, uh, don't mind those rich people. Now, so it is to get money. Everybody that is rich is a bad person. They lie, yo. Some people, God give them legitimate five and they turn it to ten. It's not everybody that is doing like Nigerian politicians and all these lucky people. You understand what I'm saying? Some people, they genuinely... You should leave me alone. <laughs> Listen to me. Some people are genuinely working for their money. Not say everybody that has money, everybody that has jeep, they're all bad people. is a lie. Offense will take you to hell. So if God blesses you and you have five, you don't let turn the five to ten and then you look at the ten and now say, ha ha, I want here. Like the rich fool. Now say, now I will rest. You just go to hell. 
at the same time, if it's one you have, you don't sit down and be lamenting and be saying, God, what, what kind of thing is this? I will not do anything about you because oftentimes, the man that even has one does not recognize what God has given him. He does not recognize how much God has given him and how much dignity you can make from that. This is the way Christians think. The Christian doctrine is not that Jesus died to escape you from one to two. Or Jesus died so that you can start having five. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that having the one, do the will of God. Do you understand that? Do you hear what I just said now? The gospel, the word of God is having the two, do the will of God. Having the five, do the will of God. Rich men, do not treat your slaves wrongly. Slaves, serve your, serve your masters as unto the Lord. Whatever calling you are called into, stay there and make sure you do the will of God. Yeah. Do you understand? So, riches is not an excuse to become idle. Poverty is not an excuse to be, to be idle either. I'm a poverty. I'm not, I don't mean destitution. I mean just having less than others. Guys, I hear what I'm saying to you. If you know that you are born into one family of one or by whatever reasons, you find yourself, God, your allotment is one. One pot of gold. Listen to me. Don't sit down and be offended. Don't sit down and be looking at other people's resources and be trying to get it. That you must get it. Say, government should collect money from them and give me. You're not a Christian. You look at other people's resources and have a sense of entitlement to it. All these rich people, your money is plenty now. Why can't they share it? Or God, you are not meant to be sustained by looking at other people's money. God has given you your own. Use what you have to meet what is your needs. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So I get what I'm saying to you. It's very important. As the rich are in danger, so are the poor. As the rich are in danger, so also are the poor. Proverbs chapter 18. You can just, can just write that, you know, follow that scripture down to the end. Proverbs chapter 18. Verse 9 says, Proverbs 18, verse 9 says, One who is slack in his work is a brother to one who destroys. One who is slack in his work is a brother to the Akba. The lazy man that is idle and the destroyer, they are the same. They are the same family WhatsApp group. Slackness and idleness is not an option. Proverbs 31. Another, another banger for, for the soft life ladies. <laughs> uh. For those of you that want to live the soft life, you also want to come and take care of you so I can do anyhow. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Proverbs 31 verse 26. I can't read the whole thing because if you read the whole thing, it'll just be oppressing you too much. Let me just go to the end, all right? Proverbs 31 verse 26 says, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. That means even when you're in the house, you don't eat, there's a bread of idleness. The significance. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. 
her husband also, and he praises her. Dignity. By exerting your God-given faculties. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I feel like entering a relationship talk for me, but let me just hold myself. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gates. This is my life agenda. That any woman that exalts, that, that exerts herself, that fears the Lord and does this should be honored. This evil idea that a woman that wants to stay at home, that wants to, they want to prioritize roles in their family and stay at home and wants to exert and manage her home's affairs, that this woman is somehow less than the women that are out there working all day for the sake of proving a point, that they are somehow inferior. It's my life's agenda to show that this woman is to be honored. A woman who can stay at home and manage her affairs and the respect of her husband and raise godly seed. Doing that which is fitting into the Lord and raise... You, many of you sang a song to this morning. You sang him this morning. Did he not bless you? See the way you were singing the refrain with glory. This person's mother chose to stay at home and raise him and her brother. It's called John and Charles Wesley. That the work of a woman will be speaking 300 years after. Such a woman is to be honored. Forget all these nonsense things. Forget all these nonsense things. Did you hear what I just said now? Yes. So ladies, listen to me. There's an honor that is due to you. When you do, um, you are what God has made to design for you to be. Did you hear what I just said now? Yes. There's an honor that is due to you. Praise God. It's almost like I said, we're not reading our Bibles, are we? Sometimes when you don't know this, you just open this, it's not like, ah, have we been Christians in this country at all? <laughs> the standard of God's word is so high and it's so beautiful to behold. And sometimes we just ask ourselves, how did we get here? Hallelujah. Church, all together. God designed it that income should come from our honest work. I've spoken, I've spoken about that. God designed it that income should be our honest work, that income should come from honest work. Income without work makes us susceptible to pride and a sense of immortality. Apart from the fact that it makes us idle, it makes us busybodies, it makes us to be destroyers, like all the things that I've read, right? It makes us to be um, um, divisive, like we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Another thing that it does is that it gives you a sense of pride and immortality. Children that are born to the families of five pots of gold, they are born having all their needs met and think that that's how life is. You think you're immortal. You think everything will be all right. That whenever I want something, I will always get it. It's because they've not worked before. And that's why, as according to the allotment that God has given us in this church, if, if, if any of you here finds yourself in a place where your two pots multiply to four, and the Lord permitted you to turn the four, it turned to eight, and then you don't have plenty pot of gold. And then your children are born into the allotment of plenty pot of gold. Listen to me. For the sake of your children's destiny and soul, make them walk. Let them understand the dignity and the dignity of stressing yourself to make things happen. 
Because not having work makes you feel immortal. It makes you feel like as if money can always come without working. And once a society, an individual first and then a society, ever gets to that point where they can imagine that income can come without honest labor, that society is dead. Part of Nigeria's problem is that there's a critical mass of people who are very, in their mentality, are expecting certain qualities of life and certain standard of life without wanting to do the commensurate work. Our entire political structure is based on men wanting to live a certain quality of life without wanting to do certain kinds of work. They cannot connect in their brain that the connection between a society becoming prosperous is them actually working and doing things valuable. So they see resources, they spend it. They see resources, they spend it. Their brain cannot connect. That a society that does not work and produce valuable things cannot be prosperous in the wrong run. North America and Europe and all these countries that are rich today, that are borrowing us money, they were once poor, debt poor countries. Protestant work ethic entered these charts and things changed. The channel we're talking about, there's something called Confucian work ethic. Where you work as a sign of honor. Look at where they are today. Now they've overdo it there. They work so much that they nearly kill themselves. That is the problem. A society where the people cannot understand. In their minds, they're walking on the road and they're looking at people. They're looking at people and they're seeing people that have cars. Listen to me. In a normal functioning society, a godly society, if our society was a Christian society, if you see someone driving on the road with a G-Wagon, the first thing that should come to your mind is that, ah, only God knows the kind of work this guy is doing. Do you understand that? I mean, honestly. Your mind should first go to, more. this guy must be working very hard. There are some societies where that thinking is applying. When they see you, we say that our money, the first question is, this guy must be working really hard. He must be working three jobs, four jobs. He must be working really hard. A society should connect work to income. The moment that connection is broken, you see someone driving a big car on the road or living in a big house, and your first instinct is that this guy must be doing a work that is profitable. Your first instinct is that, ah, only God knows who. Ah, God win. Ha <laughs> ha, they're dead. A finished society. Finished. And that's why we are where we are. That is why we are where we are. It is not the will of God that people get prosperous without doing something valuable and exerting themselves. God does not want people whose souls are flaccid, but they have plenty of money. God did us a favor after coming out of the Garden of Eden. He gave us harder work so that you can express yourself, so that you can be a better version of yourself. The work makes you who you are meant to be. It's, it spreads into every area of that society. That society cannot think meritocracy. They don't think that the best person qualified for the job is the person that should do the job. Because they can't connect work and merit with Privileges, they can't connect it. In their mind, it's okay to enjoy certain privileges without working for those privileges. Listen to me. A Christian society is the best kind of society this world can have. That's if the Christians are actually Christians. You understand what I'm saying? Because after saving everybody and everything, we are Christian. Everything will just be worse, all right? So, should I get what I'm to you? Wait, what else is that? 
Work is God's design for us to use our gifts and to apply ourselves, like I've been saying since. Right? So satisfaction from work does not only come from making an income, but also being useful and productive. So that means that when you are working, the satisfaction you gain from the work should not be just the money that you make from it, but also the fact that you are doing something good and true. Hold your head up high. If you are driving on the road and something happens and a man with a G-Wagon brushes you and is shouting, do you know who I am? Tell him I don't care. Me save I'm somebody. Because this my Jalopi I'm driving, I did not steal for it. We used to have this dignity and pride before. Something happened, I don't know how we lost it. If you are working dig- an honest job, hold your head up high. A Yahoo boy is telling you, Koti and Lowo is spending money on his girl and they're doing TikTok, hold your head up high. You go to the supermarket and they, are, they come with their shorts, short sneaker, and you know the way they used to dress outside. Their short sneaker, they will not wear slippers and wear socks and they wear there and they will not be walking and doing anyhow. And you don't see all these girls that, around them and they'll be doing anyhow. And then it's buying things and all that. You with the gala and coke you are buying, hold your head up high. You did not steal it. They should try and come and walk dignified like, by, like you and see if they can if they can even last for one day. Should I get what I'm saying to you? The benefit of work is not just the income that you make, but the pride of exerting yourself and doing the will of God. Church out together. So that's why in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1 to 2, Solomon tells us something here. He says, Ship your grain across the sea, and after many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Someone tells us something here. Invest your money in ventures. So when we say that the only way to make money is from honest labor, it includes investments. You are giving resources to people that are doing real work, valuable work. When you give your money to such people, cast it upon many ventures, it will come back to you. So thinking of investment, but investing in honest ventures is a Christian thing. So do you understand that? Gambling is not investment. Gambling is not investment. Ninja bet is not investment. This is the reason why, let me end on this note. I remember many days ago, many young people, let me not mention names because some of them are here looking at me now. Some of them are hearing this message because they are more than one person. All of you take your straight bullets. I remember many years ago, young guys come and meet me and say, Pastor, I want to do, I want to do Forex, I want to do this, I want to do that one. Say many young people, when about the day, many young guys, young ministers, all of them were doing Forex, Forex, okay? I'll tell all of them. You see, there's nothing wrong with it. You know how many anybody is actually legitimate. You are trading, you are clinical. Okay, come. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Honest labor, value. That's what you send your money to. Emma Shekini. One of them, I hope you are hearing what I'm saying now. Emma Shekini. You say, no, it's honest. I say, I say, you know me now. You guys know your pastor. Once I've told you, say, no, say, okay. We'll be here to counsel you and comfort you. And then that carry other people's money. Well, true. Ulano. All kinds of issues happen to people with the entire problem. You remember that time I told you guys when we were in uh, Anthony? That guy is doing a, <clears throat> what's that crypto thing? See? Value. 
value. You that God gave you only one pot of gold. You manage to make two. You now take the two. Go and put it in something that is not valuable. You will cry. Did, did I not warn you? Listen to me. Eh? Christians, when you want to invest, you will ask, which work are you doing in this thing? This thing spiraled into, this mentality I'm talking about, it spirals into all the um, so-called tech things that we're doing nowadays. It spirals into it. When you want to go and drop your money, you say, in our own re- uh, religion, the way we used to make money is by doing honest work. If the work is not honest, dignified, what we do is to invest in it. So you cannot carry your money and now go and put it in evil work or things that are not carry, creating value. Don't go and create, put money in speculation, people's psychology. Put money in where value is. Ask them, which work are you doing here? What um, value are you adding before you put your money? You cannot say, I will work on something dignified. God will bless you with income. You now put it on rubbish. Do you understand that? Like, why do you want to suffer yourself? He says, the tech company, you know, those of you that will have five pots of gold, I go to be investors, like Sabinus. Listen. When the Lord bless him, when he says you want to invest and everything, listen. Ask them, which work are you doing? Not the one that you are winding us with fine PowerPoint slides. And a fizzy. And nice, you ask them, which work are you doing? What have you done? What value have you added? When you do that, you can, God can even bless you with more so that you can now give. So those that are among us that don't have enough to take care of themselves, the orphans amongst us, we can support them. The widows amongst us and the widowers, because when you get older, it's as a man, you cannot work. So do you understand that? You do what? Support them. People that need help, a launching pad for them to start doing something. We also what? Support them. Father, let your grace be supplied. Let your grace be supplied. Lord, let your grace be supplied. Let your grace be supplied on every heart. Father, let this moment be a moment of the release of your grace. Let this moment be the moment of release of your grace on all your children here today. In the name of Jesus, that our conduct and our lives might bear that which is of the Spirit and of the Spirit alone. In the name of Jesus, joy is released in the name of Jesus. Supernatural joy is released in the name of Jesus. Supernatural joy is supplied in the name of Jesus. A heart of love and sacrifice is supplied in the name of Jesus. A heart of love and of love is supplied in the name of Jesus. The ability to be temperate and to persevere, to be patient until the end is supplied in the name of Jesus. The heart for patience is supplied in the name of Jesus. We speak peace over every heart. Lord, let your grace of peace surpass and calm every heart in the name of Jesus. Father, we give you thanks. Father, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.